This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Jamie Zage. And today we are focused on highlights from our 20th Academic Medical Center Summit. That's 20 years of focusing on the trends uniquely impacting academic medical centers and giving those AMC leaders an opportunity to connect and learn from each other. To share the insights, I am pleased to welcome my guests, Erica Johnson, Justin Cassidy, and Mike Humphrey. It's great to have all three of you on today, and congratulations on this milestone. What were some of the key trends this year, and how are they different from some of the most recent years? That's a really good question to kick us off. I do want to give a big thanks to University of Michigan for being our co-host, and particularly Keith Dickey, who's the CSO there. It takes quite a bit of planning. They were just very generous co-hosts with their time and their energy over the 20 years of the summit. That spirit of collaboration is one thing that hasn't changed over the time. We actually look back at one of our earliest AMC summits, and what we found were some of the challenges that we faced back in 2005 were the very same challenges that we face right now. A bigger challenge than most was this idea of politics. And I don't mean the electoral politics that we're all going to be hearing lots and lots about in the coming months, but the idea of balancing between mission and margin and the decisions that go into that. Those internal margin and mission challenges, the compression of margins themselves to be able to fund the mission, creating a challenge not only between the tripartite balance that's required, but also the ability to support requests for additional investment in community initiatives. Those things that improve equity, that give us greater access and capacity to treat patients in a holistic way. That is really one of those challenges that when you have fewer dollars, you have to make some tougher decisions. There's also an external component to that. We had a lot of goodwill as AMCs coming through COVID, the voice of science, really treating those sickest of the sick patients. And we found that all of a sudden in the last few years and months, we've been hearing more of a challenge, particularly around the voice of science, misinformation. We've had even some of the extreme examples of local communities wanting to look at managing the pricing of hospitals themselves. And so you can imagine how difficult that is with healthcare economists, let alone an elected governing body that has no knowledge of healthcare. We're seeing this challenge of politics that impact our ability to execute both on our margin and our mission. That's great. So Erica, what was the top theme for you? One of the top themes for me was the capacity, which I don't think we can have a meeting of academic medical centers and not talk about (laughs) capacity (laughs) constraints. Over the last 20 years, capacity continues to be a top priority for academic medical centers. And this year, a little different is just given the financial constraints. Community hospitals are actually divesting certain services. And so that's exacerbating the capacity issues where patients are turning to for care. They're really looking at how to best manage their capacity through innovative strategies. And that leads to really the third topic that we talked about, and that's around the footprint of the organization and how that is evolving to best meet capacity constraints. We had a number of organizations that were really able to share some of their innovative strategies around managing capacity and changing their footprint to best meet their needs. We heard from the University of Michigan and the University of Maryland, and specifically from UCSF and how they're really exploring innovative partnerships to expand their footprint beyond just a small local health system to a health network 
and how do we bring care to the communities to best meet patient needs, as well as meeting and addressing some of the financial constraints that they're under today. Justin, what really rose to the top for you? Well, Erica, both you and Mike, I think, laid out the heavy realities that our Academic Medical Center members are facing today. But also, Academic Medical Centers are starting to form academic medical systems. It's starting to branch out. The fourth theme is revenue. And we're starting to see outsized revenue, an imbalance almost, if you will, between traditional inpatient margins from tertiary quaternary procedures and outpatient opportunity from ambulatory procedures and also a variety of pharmaceutical avenues. That's really exciting to think in a year of meager margins where there is growth and there's significant amounts of it to be had. And then further into the future, there's a huge buzz right now on AI. We just had another SG2 webinar on the topic from our expert, Andrew Rebhan. Amazing to think about what are the decisions that AMC leaders really need to be making today related to this, whether to get in on that AI game today or defer to tomorrow, thinking about the opportunity cost, thinking about the sort of potential there is a new opportunity. That's great. And thinking about the margins, there's certainly a revenue side to it, but there's also the changing reimbursement landscape especially as we shift to ambulatory. And that's been one of the other things that's having an impact on all these financial components. 100%, Jamie. And that final fifth is really timing. Thinking about not only the shifts that we're seeing as an industry, but whether or not to get in on that innovation now or later. Speaking about the potential for new types of revenue, let's dig a little deeper into what's going into the margin pressures. Justin, give us some of the details behind that. You know, we're hearing across the board from AMCs, both inpatient and outpatient, a sort of payer mix shift between lucrative commercial pay patients in both the inpatient tertiary and quaternary procedural space, but also in the ambulatory space. And one of the analyses that we introduced at the AMC summit was related to what we call the ambulatory tertiary opportunity. Basically, myself and a colleague, Rihanna Henson, broke out within six states the entire footprint of that academic health system that Erica was describing and looked at the claims in six states. And we were able to see trends over time, 2019 to 2022, payer mix shifts in the ambulatory space and compare the payer mix shifts between academic and non-academic health systems. Strikingly, we saw in the ambulatory space a negative 2% decline in commercial market share with AMCs in the ambulatory footprint and a 5% growth in the non-AMCs. That's a competitive imbalance that is moving forward. That coupled with the fact that government payers, both Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, and traditional fee-for-service Medicare are accelerating in the AMC space. So the government pay patients are being increasingly captured. And that's just causing a further imbalance in that revenue stream. And I would build on that, Justin, in terms of taking that a step further. Our current financing system, the way that it's set up today, has really been incentivizing providers to unfortunately favor privately insured patients over publicly funded patients, which has led to disparities in care. And specifically, the Visit Research Institute just recently completed a deeper dive and really looking at disparities in care from an economic perspective and comparing how access to care is challenged due to the economics of how health care is currently financed. Particularly as it relates to behavioral health, we did an analysis looking at variations in care as it relates to commercially insured patients versus Medicaid patients and found significant underdiagnosing and variations in treatment that's really resulting in growing this greater disparities gap. Given that a lot of behavioral health is covered by Medicaid, margin pressures are really exacerbating the issue and really being able to care for these patients. 
Those vulnerable patients are a challenge for all kinds of health systems, not just academic medical centers. Mike, the other thing that we've heard about is there's been a shift in the way funds flow at an academic medical center. How is all this margin pressure impacting funds flow? In addition to generating clinical revenue within a tripartite mission, there's a commitment to support both the education component and the research. If you think about the clinical revenue as a pie, the piece of that pie has gotten larger and larger to support those other efforts from the clinical enterprise. We just finished our biannual study, benchmarking survey of funds flow, and it's a study that we've been doing for well over a decade. And there's some pretty surprising findings this year that we're curious to see if they are a change or an adaptation to some of the dynamics now or they're going to be current trends. One thing that we found was there's part of the funds flow that goes towards supporting ancillary clinical resources and, and workforce. There's been an increased investment to the magnitude of almost a 20% increase over the last two years in that investment. Now, we wonder whether that is around just the continuing labor workforce challenges that we've had, or is it related to the rising expense of that? It's probably a combination of both to the degree where it's grown from 31% to 52%. That's a pretty significant increase. We're really curious to see if that's going to be an increased and continuing demand, the clinical revenues that are generated. For every $10 of net pay revenue that's generated, just a little bit of a dollar of that, so almost a tenth of it, goes towards funding the research and the education mission. Community hospitals, while they're recovering a little bit more quickly in terms of the margins that they have, AMCs aren't, and yet they have this additional pressure of supporting this tripartite mission. That funds flow piece is a little bit more of a heavier anchor on them than our community counterparts. That's a really interesting perspective and in thinking about the uniqueness of the Academic Medical Center. Erica, when you talked about the trends that intrigued you the most, you talked about the capacity crunch, something we just can't ignore. Curious what we may have heard from the organizations that actually presented. What were some of the solutions that you heard during the day? Looking at the natural shift of inpatient to outpatient and these site of care shifts that are going on, really looking within the organization, how can we be more effective and efficient in delivering care? within our current capacity. There was a number of things that we talked about in terms of program consolidation. How do we ensure that we deliver high quality care? Let's not have six heart failure, open heart programs within the same market. How do we shift care to one site and ensure that that's high quality that we're delivering to the patients? How do we look to deliver care at the lowest cost, but that the highest quality? looking at really driving or shifting care into different outputs that we might have within our system where we can better beat patient needs, be closer to them in their community, and really deliver more effective and efficient care in that capacity. The other thing I would add that I think gets at managing capacity, the social determinants of health across our patients and health equity. There are a number of initiatives that are going on across the larger health system today to try to address this, but we've only begun to really brush the surface in addressing these. Looking at different models of care of how we really look at managing the clinical needs of the patient, but the social needs of the patient is really critical, particularly for our complex and chronic patients, which are the core of the academic medical centers. I'll turn it over to Mike here more specifically about some innovative approaches. 
care redesign is critical. And in many ways, what's going to help us accelerate that effort is some of the technology that we're seeing put into place. We had the opportunity to tour Michigan's M2C2 Center. It's really their capacity management center. And we know that a lot of organizations are starting to employ this type of technology to help them think about not only how they care for patients while they're in-house, but thinking about how patients access them from the external, be they transfers or ED admissions, and then on the discharge disposition side. This M2C2 Center, you've seen in the movies like NASA, you see up these workstations and you've got this incredible array of video screens in front of you having all sorts of information. Well, that is exactly what M2C2 is. There's information regarding bed availability, incoming transfer, times to get to a bed, boarding times, just any number of metrics that one could think about that impact the patient's journey through their ability to get into the system or exit the system. What was so impressive about this, it's been about a two and a half year journey for them and the work that they've done, both in creating new roles to sort of manage the care, resolve problems, these clinical expediters. I think of them as this amazing cross between air traffic controllers and folks that remove obstacles in terms of making solutions available for managing patients. They've been able to reduce the number of minutes that it takes to actually get a bed assigned by 30 minutes. That then creates virtual capacity, virtual capacity that is on the magnitude of two and a half beds. And while that might seem a small number, it's everything in an AMC when you can find that type of additional capacity. They've reduced the boarding, which we know is always a challenge. It's a risk to patients. And so they're reducing that. And they've even shaved off the length of stay on some pretty important patient populations. Congestive heart failure, I think they shared a day and a half reduction on length of stay. Those are all significant efforts that have been supported through this type of technology and the ability to create cross-communication across the enterprise to manage these patients more effectively. And not to mention the ability to look at safety and quality issues, early warnings on patients that may be deteriorating, patients who may need supportive care and other types of care before the discharge. It sets the tone for how technology can help with what Erica was describing. It's really thoughtful care redesign and care redistribution. Mike, that's so great to hear. Really, the M2C2 tour was the highlight, really, for many during the EMC Summit. I was also really struck by the panel discussion that we had from Michigan medicine leaders. And as they described their statewide system of care through a network, a complicated intertwining web of partnerships that has led to M&A opportunities in some cases, and triaging patients to the right place at the right time is really interesting and critical and remains one of our favorite examples of how organizations are starting to get out of the capacity crunch through innovative thinking, not just operational excellence, but also how to interact with other hospitals and health systems within the community. The other is to think about strategic frameworks, think about care differently. It's about prioritization. And we asked the group of AMC Summit attendees, you know, where's your strategic focus? It's on tertiary and quaternary procedural growth. Now, that's in part due to the ties to executive compensation, to the fact that traditionally this was core to the AMC business model. It's also an opportunity cost if you're capacity constrained. You can't grow where it's naturally growing via patient acuity if your inpatient facility is crowded out by other types of patients. And we presented a frame that resonated quite strong with our guest faculty, also presenting similar examples from University of Maryland and UCSF, talking about those patients that are admitted from the emergency department, it's almost double at an AMC compared to a community hospital. And so those emergent patients that are unscheduled admits take away from the opportunity to accommodate patients with scheduled procedural needs. There's also a couple others, the imbalance in the ICUs. Most ICUs at, at academic medical centers are primarily procedural in nature, but many that are in community hospitals that are struggling or even closing are medical ICUs. And because of the role of an AMC as a safety net, 
when those community closures happen, it ends up being a further capacity crunch on the AMC. And we're starting to see this in some markets. It's quite regrettable and, and something that will exacerbate that capacity crunch and that opportunity cost moving forward. And then finally, we kind of coined a new term, this potentially disruptable admissions. It's like potentially avoidable admissions, thinking about chronic conditions, but at SG2, we can refine this. We can actually take out the major therapeutics that we don't think are avoidable as a part of those chronic care admits. It also includes some behavioral health and also surgical and medical complications types of diseases. All told, when we estimate this using the awesome data of Vizient CDB, we see that about 18% of AMC admissions are potentially disruptable. It could have been avoided in the first place. Uh, think about, Mike, how that command center could position to decant in that capacity. It's really inspirational. That's interesting and cool to see that the AMCs are leading in care transformation and operational transformation to a certain degree. What else did you find inspirational as you thought about or listened to the conversations that were going on in the presentations, Justin? We ended the day with a panel discussion on AI, and we had leaders from University of Wisconsin Health, from Michigan Medicine, and from Rady Children's Hospital talk about some of the amazing innovations that they've had and experiences with artificial intelligence. And the sort of take home for me was that you need to set your own pace, don't race, and also really think strongly about where the ROI of AI might lie. Because if it's not there, why do it? It's not sustainable into the future. You're thinking about AI as a device that could be patented. The license itself could be a revenue generator. There's also a unique opportunity for academic medical centers as a node of data collection and sensing that could fuel these AI models in the future. Certainly from Rady Children's, we know rapid diagnostics can be facilitated by AI in ways that humans just can't possibly distill down the data in as fast of a way with their rapid genomic sequencing. We heard from Mike the role of AI in capacity command centers and in clinical operations. And that's here and now where the ROI lies because Michigan Medicine is starting to see a positive ROI from their investment after just 18 months. That's definitely inspirational. No turn to other opportunities, how large language models could be even leveraged to analyze the unique patent licensing opportunities for AMCs. There's a study from Stanford's Office of Technology and Licensing looking at between 1970 and 2020, almost 5,000 individual patent licenses using large language models. And they found certain characteristics like the abstract that was associated with a patent license, the length of it being anti-correlated with financial success. The number of adjectives, if more were used to describe a new technology, it was much less likely to turn an ROI. This is really interesting from an, an AMC perspective. If the inventor themselves was self-licensing the patent that was filed through the office, they had a much stronger success rate of actually pulling a positive ROI. Overall, 80% of the patents that were filed did not pull an ROI, but of those that turned over a $10 million profit ultimately, 100% were self-licensed by the own inventor. And so this is an interesting way to incent and align an academic workforce. You think about surgical talent, well, having those new devices collect during procedure data that could be patented or licensed and fuel these new technologies could yield significant financial benefit in ways that community procedural activity can even hold a candle to. What about innovative partnerships? Did anybody talk about how they worked with untraditional partners? 
I was really inspired by a number of the member stories shared. We've highlighted Michigan Medicine, the University of Maryland, and UCSF. And specifically what inspired me was UCF's story around how they're really advancing their strategy to manage the margin pressures as well as capacity issues and really looking beyond their current footprint and how they can partner with appropriate strategic partners to help them deliver care across the continuum. Shelby, the chief network strategy officer there, shared specifically what they're doing or what their strategy is around actively pursuing customized partnerships with regional leaders in their market for primary care. They're partnering with One Medical in the urgent care space. They've got a relationship with Go Health uh, Across the post-acute care space, they've partnered with By Bay Health. And so really looking at how can they best deliver care closer to the community in a most effective and efficient way. So was really inspired by what they shared there in terms of innovation partnerships. I would add to that, Erica, Shelby, her role is focused entirely on that system of care affiliation portfolio. As we think about roles going forward, that complexity of partnerships is probably going to be an evolving dedicated role, not sort of held in different pockets of an AMC over time. So an exciting role for her in that story. Partnerships and solving capacity go hand in hand because of two other great examples that we have, Jamie, that, that were sort of inspirational in nature was the long-held relationship that University of Michigan has had with Trinity using rather than competition, it's collaboration to solve problems that benefit all. So, so two really quick examples there with University of Michigan that have a long-standing master affiliation agreement with Trinity. In one instance, if a medically complex patient presents at the U of M ED, they are stabilized and with their permission then transfer to St. Joseph's, which is a Trinity hospital not far from the Ann Arbor University of Michigan campus. And, and there's a dedicated medically complex unit there to care for those patients. That's safer for patients. They get the care they need and very much dedicated towards complex care. Another part of that relationship is the formation of a short-stay surgical unit, decanting the complex operating rooms that are needed at the university and having this factory focused on a certain set of procedures at the Chelsea site that is part of that joint relationship. This creative partnership and not leaning on competition or additional capacity to try to solve this issue. University of Maryland, they are fortunate to have their main academic campus and their midtown campus, a close proximate about a mile away. They've actually bifurcated the type of care that they provide. The academic campus obviously focuses on the high acuity. The other campus is focusing on the medically focused, chronically complex. A different variation on the University of Michigan theme, but bifurcating patients so that your dedicated workforce, the attention that you need can be a bit more customized and help solve that capacity problem. I really applaud all of the, the AMCs. They are being innovative, true to their nature as both originating clinical innovation as well as thought leadership. So there's a lot of inspirational ideas there, but we're fortunate to hear those as some examples. Want to also make sure that we spend time thinking about what AMCs could be doing in response to this. So really quick, what's the one thing that you would tell them that they need to do in response to some of these trends? Well, folks aren't going to like to hear it because we've been hearing it over and over for years and years. But my one thing would be to continue to focus on costs now more than ever. Given our current financial state today, coupled with the future outlook of the aging population and the declining payer mix, focusing on costs and being more effective and efficient the way that we deliver care is going to be more critical now more than ever. Erica, I'll add to that, maybe the flip side of the coin, how we use those clinical revenues, and I'll use funds flow as the primary example. There has to be a true element of transparency and alignment to the strategic needs across the mission. No longer these book of deals. There has to be transparency that is entirely aligned and responsive to some of these changes, particularly cost and then revenue and access and equity. 
wow, we're all talking about finances. Mine is re-examine your revenue streams. Thinking, is your revenue actually coming from tertiary and quaternary procedures in the inpatient setting, or is it coming from ambulatory in surprising ways? That could form a strategic frame shift where that opportunity lies into the future. How your planning AMC strategy for the next 10 to 20 years could matter a lot, depending upon whether or not you're going to be cornering the market on TQ procedures or pursuing other avenues. Wow. These academic medical centers as campuses, or not just campuses, but now health systems, academic medical systems, thinking about the tripartite mission, all of those key components. This is still fundamental. It's 20 years later, and we're talking about the same things, just more acute now than ever, just like our patients. With that, I want to thank our guests, Justin, Erica, and Mike for joining us today. And I really appreciate all of our listeners' time. Thank you for joining me on SG2 Perspectives. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.